It's a great joy for me to uh, introduce our speaker for the morning. Uh, Dr. Ryan Hartwig is the provost at uh, Vanguard University over in Costa Mesa, newly accepting the job just, uh, what, about a month ago? Yeah. And uh, uh, Ryan and his good bride, Jill, are here with us, and, and Caitlin and Alea and uh, uh, Matthew, I guess, is terrorizing the... Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can say that because he's my adopted grandson. I, Ryan and I have a... Uh, over the years, have so many students, and a few of them stand out for being really bad. <laughs> and a number of them stand out for being exceptional. Ryan is more than exceptional. Ryan and I actually uh, taught a course together while he was still a student. I saw this incredibly gifted young man. And uh, so he has uh, gone on to be a, uh, an educator. He's written three books on uh, team building and, and that sort of stuff and communication. He's a man of God. He married a woman of God. His stock went up when he married this lovely lady. Uh, and uh, so I introduce to you a, a Dr. Ryan Hartwig, God's messenger for us this morning. Well, well, good morning. I don't think I'm on. Let's see if I can get on. I'm on. You can hear me? Yeah. Oh, great. I love that. Well, it's a joy for me to be able to be here with you all. Uh, this morning, we were here, Jill and I were here several years ago when uh, Pop and Nettie moved to town, and they told us that they were hanging out over here at this church, and we met them for a service one time, and it was such a joy to be able to be uh, and to see them in this space, and what a great place this was for them. And then uh, when I got a call several months ago, and I heard that uh, the Sid was coming back and was going to be pastoring here, I was just thrilled about that, and I know this has been such a great community for him, and uh, uh, it's, it's been fun for me to be able to be here the last couple of days and hang out among you all. My, my, my spirit has been encouraged as I've been here as well. My senior year of college, I experienced one of the greatest moments of my life. It, it wasn't uh, landing a job. It wasn't graduating with some sort of honor or whatever. It actually happened on the beach at the ski resort called Arapahoe Basin. Has anybody ever been to Arapahoe Basin in Colorado? Well, there's this, there's this big stretch of snow kind of at the bottom of the, of the, of the ski hills there, and they're, uh, they call it the beach, and they put out like picnic tables and so on, and people will gather there and so on. But on this day in February, they, held, they hosted a competition called the Cardboard Derby, and the Cardboard Derby was this competition where hundreds of people would build these cardboard crafts, Cardboard sleds, maybe, were just with cardboard and tape and glue and rope and tape and so on, and then you'd haul it up the hill, and then you would race it down the hill. And that year, that day in February, my buddies and I won it all. We won, we won every prize that you could win at the Arapahoe Basin Cardboard Derby. We built a 35-foot-tall Empire State Building replica complete with a, with a, with a life-size King Kong, on the uh, papier-mâché King Kong on the top of the steel, strong enough that one of my buddies, Kyle, was actually able to climb, climb it about 20 feet in the air. And it was all made out of cardboard, tape, glue, and the whole deal. 
And this was just like, this was this amazing accomplishment for us because we'd been at it for four years. Every year in college, we built a craft. Our first year, we made like this little alien spaceship. Didn't go very well. Next year, we built these, uh, these two cars. We did the Dukes of Hazard cars. So the General Lee followed by the, uh, the Cadillac kind of a deal. Our third year, we we're kind of getting better with our craftsmanship. And so we built a 24-foot ski boat. It was awesome, complete. I mean, it was so strong, you could like stand on the benches and we actually pulled three of our guys, one guy in a cardboard tube, one guy in cardboard skis, and one guy in a cardboard kneeboard. That year, we kind of got a taste of winning some things. We thought, last year, go big or go home, and so we did. Empire State Building, and I remember being on the stage that day as they, they were calling us, and they're like, yeah, the award for this, the Empire Statesman, the award for this, the Empire Statesman, the whole deal. The best part about it was that I did it with a group of guys who had become my very best friends. And even still today, really still hold that place in my life. And what happened that year as we won this prize is that all of us were totally operating in our gifts. James and Matt, my buddies James and Matt, were kind of the visionaries and the engineers. They're the ones who figured out how to do this. My buddy Kyle and I were kind of the administrators. We were the ones who would raise the funds and rent the truck and do these different kind of things. My buddy Phil was a connections guy. He was out there. He was gathering people, and they'd, they, people would show up like on Thursday nights. We'd do these big building parties and the whole deal. But we worked together. We used our gifts, and we saw this pretty amazing thing happen. Still today, we're actually a pretty wicked team. When we, when we try to do something, when we work together, some pretty cool things kind of happen. But just like me and my buddies then, God has specially designed you. God has specially gifted you, the people of Palm Desert Community Presbyterian Church, to be a blessing to this world and to do it together in community. Indeed, that, it, indeed it's the same for every community of Christ followers. God has put gifts into his community. He, and he, has, he has asked us, he has instructed us, he has, he has shaped us to work as people who are members of the body of Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you want, want to grab your Bible, you can go ahead and pull that, go there now. I was reminded Friday night there's even Bibles in the pews. So that's awesome. So you don't have one, you can grab one of those there as well. But we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4. And I just want to give you kind of the punchline right now. And then we're going we're gonna to unpack it kind of chunk by chunk, piece by piece, as we walk through this morning. But in this passage, Paul is saying that unity among diversity is God's design for his people, for the good of the church and for the good of each person. Let me say that again so you can just, hopefully that kind of sinks in. That unity among diversity is God's design for his people for the good of the church and for the good of each person. Now, as we get into this passage, I want to make sure that you understand this context. Because in, in, this, in this letter to the church, of, in, uh, the church of Corinthians, Paul is writing to kind of a divided church. In fact, if you look in the chapter just before, chapter 11, you'll see that he's addressing these arguments that are happening about the wearing of head coverings, about the way of taking the Lord's Supper, and so on. And in his letter, he's challenging these believers to, to drop their kind of divisive one-upsmanship, the way that they're kind of saying, hey, this is a better way, or we're better here. He, he's, he's, he's urging the church to build up the faith of those who are weak. And he's saying, please, please, please work together 
to advance the gospel. And in this passage, there's actually kind of a lot of like, knock it off, but in kind of a calm and kind and somewhat gentle kind of way. And I haven't been here long enough to know about the unity in this particular church, but as I look at the big C church, the church around the world, anybody think we could take some lessons in how do we live in unity these days? Anybody see that? I know I see that. I know I feel that even for myself. So now let's go ahead and get into this passage. And again, we're just going to take it chunk by chunk. All right, so starting in verse 4, I want to read verses 4 through 6 to us. And then I'm, and then I'm going to kind of make, make, make some comments about each of these sections as we walk through here, okay? So starting in verse 4. Now there are varied varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Right out of the gate here, I want you to see unity and diversity standing together. Do you see this? Varieties is mentioned several times. Difference is mentioned there, but so is unity. You see, here's the point. There are many different gifts, but there is one giver of the gifts. Let me say that again. There are many different gifts, but there is one giver of the gifts. You see, I think some of us want to, want to, want to, want to kind of privilege one at the expense of the other. Some of us want to talk so much about our differences, so much about how, 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 how I'm different here, my culture's different here, or I see the world differently here, and we don't ever want to talk about our common identity as people who live underneath the reign of the one true king. And Paul is saying here, no, 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 you have to recognize, yeah, there's difference, but we all are, are gifted by and we all worship the one true king. Others of us, I think, want to talk so much about unity that we shy away and we honestly kind of look down upon anything that's different than us. People who see the world differently than we are. People who are gifted in ways that are different than us. But here's the thing that we, here's the thing that we see here. We celebrate the diversity of the gifts and the unity, the oneness of the giver. So that's the first thing I want you to see there, right? That there are many different gifts, but there is one giver of those gifts. Back to our passage, back to, back to verse number seven now. I'll read from seven to 10. Paul goes on, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, just in case you were wondering, don't worry, we're not gonna get into a, uh, a, a treatise here on tongues and their interpretation. So let, 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 me, let me be clear about what I wanna draw out here. Here's the deal I think that Paul's saying. If every gift is given to build up the church, the common good, you see him reference that in verse seven. If every gift is given to build up the church, then your gifts are not for you. Instead, they are for others. So you've been given these gifts, but these gifts are not meant to just sit on you and just benefit you. They've been given to you so that you can then be a blessing to other people. And I just wanna ask you, I guess, for a second as we think about, how, about applying this, like you've been given gifts for the common good, so are you using them? 
Are you using these gifts that God has given you for the common good? Are you using these gifts for the building up of the church? And think about this. Like, when we don't use these gifts, it kind of feels kind of weird. Like, if you had the gift of healing, but you didn't use that gift, that'd be kind of cruel, wouldn't it? Or if you had the gift of leadership, like you're super organized, you lead yourself well, you're, you're able to bring order out of chaos, but you don't offer that gift to other people. Or maybe you have a gift of encouragement, but you're not going to encourage. Or you have a gift of teaching, but you're not going to teach. Or you have a gift of hospitality or whatever else. I mean, why would you hold that back? And Paul's saying, remember this. Like, everything you've been given, some of you are amazing teachers, and some of you are super hospitable, and some of you have the gifts of, of organization and leadership. God's given you these things. Don't hold on to them. They're not just for you. Yeah, of course your house is, like, super organized. Of, of, of course, like, you have these amazing dinner parties for your family, but, but God's given you these things so that you can be a blessing to other people. And I'll tell you, for me, being here on Friday night and spending time with the, the volunteers and the leaders here, it was so cool to see so many, so many people here who are continuing to use their gifts for the benefit of the community. Quite honestly, it's so, so, so beautiful. But if you've been given gifts and you're standing on the sidelines, hey, I get to go home after today. I'm just going to say it. Don't stand on the sidelines anymore. Jump on in. God's given you things, and there are people who will benefit from you using your gifts. Whatever God has given you, I urge you to use them. Let's pick back up our passage starting in verse 11. Starting in verse 11. So all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And what I think Paul wants us to see here is that these gifts that we've been given are spread out throughout the body of Christ so that we would need each other. Let me say that again. These gifts that God has given to the body of Christ are spread out so that we would need each other. Anybody feel that? Anybody, anybody feel that well, I, don't, I don't have all the stuff that I need myself? And that's good because we weren't made to live on an island. We, we, we were made to be part of a people and to play a particular role in the community of which we are a part. In fact, it's your individuality that makes so much sense in the context of community. I mean, like, if we were to drive down the street and all of a sudden you were to see an arm just sitting there on the street, you wouldn't say, wow, that's a really valuable arm, right? Unless you didn't have an arm. And, and, and you'd really like to be able to, that, that arm could join your body and what sort of functioning could it offer there, right? Think about this in the organization world. No organization celebrates its amazing mailroom. Who cares? Who cares that you sort the mail incredibly? Who cares that you've got this amazing system? I'm thinking of Elf right now. <laughs> right? Who cares if you have this amazing system? What good does it do for the whole? How does this actually benefit the whole? Nobody cares about these, these, these gifts, these individual things all by themselves. We care about them in the context of community. Let me say it maybe a little bit more directly. You all by yourself me, all by myself, am not the cat's meow. 
I think about this as a teacher. Like, I think I'm a pretty good teacher. I think it's good for students to get what I bring to the table. But goodness gracious, if all they got was what I brought to the table, they would be so weirdly formed, (laughs) so malnourished. Because I bring part of it, but I don't bring the whole thing there. And God has put us together so that we are able to complement one another well. That he's spread out these gifts so that we bring our gifts, but in so doing, we complement one another. But here's the deal. I think this is actually much easier said than done. Because there's this pesky thing that we all deal with, that we think that some gifts are better than other gifts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever feel that? We think that there's some that are better than others. And Paul's going to go right at it next. Let's pick back up in verse 14. No, verse 15. If the foot should say, think about the foot, okay, down here. If the foot should say, looking up, I'm not a hand, it do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And here's the punchline here. No gifts are lesser than others. There is no gifts, there's no gift that is less important than other gifts. Paul's going to address here two complexes. The first one he's addressing here is the inferiority complex. This idea, basically, right, that there are some gifts that are better than my gifts, that I feel inferior, that I'm this foot, and I look up at the hand, and I'm like, that would be awesome to be a hand. Here's the thing. Every community tends to privilege some things over others. I think about this in our family, that, that, that we might privilege housework or athletics or music or art or recreation, And then those who don't kind of lean in and succeed in those ways might feel a little bit inferior to those who do, right? So like if your family values work and financial provision, but you don't make much money, you might feel unimportant. Or your family values housework and you don't really do the housework, you might feel unimportant. Or your family values taking care of a family member or children and you don't participate. Or you're not a star athlete or you prefer to do something other than what everybody else does. And we start to say, we start to see that, man, there's maybe some people don't feel like their gifts matter as much. And I would just encourage you as you, as you sit in that, maybe you're a person who says, I, I, I feel that myself. I oftentimes feel that my gifts are inferior to others. I, I would just beg you, please stop comparing yourself to others and start doing what God has called you to do. What God has given to you, he has not given to other people. He has entrusted you with gifts that he's not given to, to anybody else. And your community, the people around you, desperately need that. We need you to bring it in full force into community because God has only given those things to you and not to other people. Don't hold your head low, hold it high and use all of your gifts and if you're a person who kind of, um, maybe you realize, hey, maybe I've been a part of kind of helping to create a community where maybe there are certain gifts that are privileged over others, I just want to encourage you 
to commend and appreciate those who bring gifts but maybe might struggle with that complex. Take a moment to recognize that and to encourage and to say, I see something in you and I'm so grateful for that. Please keep it going. And then finally, our last pass back onto our passage. Starting in verse 21, Paul's gonna go on to the other side of this complex. And he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, this is looking down, the eye looking down at the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. God has so composed the body, giving the greater honor, to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And here's the punchline of these verses. No gifts are better than others. The first thing Paul gets at is no gifts are lesser than others. That's the inferiority complex. But then he comes back around and he says, no, no, no. Don't just think that way like, oh, I'm looking up and I think I'm inferior. Don't look down and think you are superior. Quite frankly, I think this is the one where we tend to start to get really convicted. I don't know about you, but this is where I get in the passage and I'm like, okay, I'm listening, Paul. I'm not the kind of person who oftentimes feels inferior. I walk in, here we go. But maybe do I sometimes struggle with feeling a little bit superior? And don't look at me all pious because I'm not the only one in the room, right? We do this, don't we? This is a very natural thing that we do, that we tend to say, hey, what I bring to the table is more important than what you do. This is one of these things that I think my wife and I struggle with in our marriage. When we get busy and we start going and we, we, we have different kinds of roles and we'll start, we'll start getting into these conversations where, where, well, I'll be reminding her of what I'm doing for the family and then she's reminding me about what she does for the family and we get, it, we get into it over here. Anybody else ever do that? Are we the only ones? I hope not. I doubt we are, right? We become frustrating. But Paul so graciously and kindly reminds us, if you look at Romans chapter 12, verses three, one of the other kind of gifts passages, he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Paul doesn't say to only those who are struggling. He says, no, to everyone among you. This must be kind of like a global problem. We must struggle with this. To everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. To think with sober judgment. And then he goes on there, if you see this in verse 22, and Paul says, on the contrary, he's saying, no, do something different. He says the parts that are weaker are actually indispensable. No, these things that appear to be weaker, they're so valuable. I once heard about a fellow who... um, was kind of uh, making fun of the little toe and not thinking that the little toe uh, offered a whole lot until he shot it off and then tried to walk again. Yeah, try to walk without your little toe. It's pretty, tri- it's pretty tricky to be able to do this. There maybe there are members of our, of our, of our families or members, uh, members of our lives who kind of slow us down in some respects. They feel like they're a little bit weaker. Maybe this slowing down is this gift that the Lord is, that the Lord is giving you to slow down and to enjoy life. He goes on, he says, those parts that we think are less, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And Paul's getting really serious here. He's like, no, 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 no. 
Like, like, like don't, don't just think that they're indispensable, but realize we actually honor them even more. What comes to mind for me is like that I, I post my kids' artwork in my office. That's not because they're little Picassos or little Monets. It's terrible. But they're my kids. Sorry, kids. <laughs> I'm gonna hear about this later, right? It's not that they're great, but it, but it deserves honor. It deserves to be, it deserves to be, um, to be, to be, to be, to be privileged. It's like that maybe in your community, it's, it's people who can't cook but try really hard. Like, wow, you're not a very good cook. You weren't gifted with that, but you really tried to bring it to the potluck. Thank you. We celebrate that, right? We give it this great honor because of what people have done. And then finally, he goes on just a little bit more and he said, in our unpresentable parts, are treated with even greater modesty. I looked at that. The Greek word used for unpresentable means uncomely or deformed or indecent or unseemly. Maybe for some of us, it's kind of hard to even relate to that. But for others of us, we relate to that really easily. Maybe there's someone in your life who's destructively angry or an alcoholic or a poor organizer or a poor planner or disabled or klutzy or whatever else. And kind of feel kind of generally unseemly or unpresentable. You know what Paul's saying here, right? We treat those parts with great modesty. We cover and we protect. We choose to not hurt people in sensitive areas. We choose to not put people down to make us feel better. We honor and we care for one another's vulnerability. We don't expose them. We don't parade that, but we care for them, we cover them, and we protect them. Quite frankly, those verses for me in this whole passage are by far the most convicting to me. Because as Paul here is speaking of, of covering one another and protecting one another. So maybe you're a person who says, yeah, I, I, I kind of I live into that superiority complex a little bit. I kind of sometimes think of myself maybe a little bit more highly than I, than I ought promise you you're in good company. I think, think there's a lot of us around here who do. I would encourage you to confess that. Ask for forgiveness. Discipline yourself to recognize and to audibly appreciate what others do. And then take some time to walk in one another's shoes so that maybe you realize the value of what it is that they bring to the table. So this morning, I guess I want to close by asking you this. So what's God speaking to your heart about? What's one area maybe in which he might be prompting you to, 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 to respond? As I said before, unity among diversity is God's design for his people, for the good of the church and for each one of us. But of course, as we read here and as we see here, that requires us to exercise the gifts that God has given to us and to not hold them back. It requires us to not think too highly or too lowly of ourselves. It requires us to truly appreciate others. It requires us to recognize our own limitations and therefore our need for others. It requires us to cover and protect one another. And it requires us to rejoice and suffer together. And ultimately, that's what my buddies taught me. <laughs> Not just 25 years ago as we're building a cardboard craft and we're celebrating on the beach at Arapaho Basin, but as we've journeyed together in life for the last 25 years. But quite honestly, I probably could boil it down even more simply. My friends 
the body of Christ that I'm a part of, has taught me to really, truly love others well. And quite frankly, I think that's what Paul is telling us as well. He's basically giving us a blueprint of what it looks like to love one another really well. And it's no accident that the chapter that follows chapter 12 is chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. The love chapter. Paul's wrapping up his discussion on the gifts in the church, on the body of Christ, by, 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 by explaining then the most excellent way, which is love. Because you see, the success of the body of Christ, the flourishing of the body of Christ, the health of the body of Christ, is based upon the members of that body loving one another well, acting for the good of one another and not just for the good of the individual. So my encouragement to you and my prayer for you today is may we all love well today, for it is truly the most excellent way.